welcome to Let It Out, a podcast hosted by me, Katie Dalebout, where I have conversations with creative, fascinating people. Today, I talk to Mastin Kip, and you'll hear all about my relationship to Mastin Kip's work and how we met in the episode, but we talk about a plethora of topics, including the line between self-care and narcissism and how that can be quite thin at times trauma and unblocking past hurts to not let them hold us back now. We talk about letting go of dreams and then picking them back up again. Mastin had a dream that he's never really talked about of being a baseball player when he was younger and a shoulder injury took him out of that and I share about a dream that I had that I just completely let go of because of something someone said to me once. We talk about spiritual bypass through spiritual entertainment which is a concept that Mastin first introduced me to through his work and something that man you guys I have definitely done and still do which what I mean by that is listening to all the podcasts and not being able to fold laundry or drive or walk without learning something and thinking that I'm doing the work of unblocking myself and more self-awareness but really I'm not I'm just kind of getting ahead of it when really doing the heavy lifting of the journaling, the therapy, the reprocessing and programming of old habits. That's really what I need to do to shift my life. But, you know, it feels almost as good to just think about doing it and hear other people talk about doing it. So we get into that. We talk about purpose and entrepreneurship, of course, routines. And at the end, he gives some of the best relationship advice I've ever gotten. Anyway, that was a mouthful, but if you're listening to this the day it comes out and you're in New York City, come to Times Square tonight. I know. I know what you're thinking. I don't go to Times Square either, but you know what? For this event, I'm going to. Tonight, July 25th at 6 p.m., I'm doing a full moon event with my friend Nicole who owns Splendid Spoon. If you haven't listened to that episode, I recorded about a year ago with her and it's one of my favorites and also mama medicine will be there as well she's going to be leading a medicine dance and i'm going to be doing some journaling it's just going to be this cozy great food great elixirs it's going to be dope i don't i don't even use that word often but i'm i'm using it for this event it's at the we work in times square and then if you can't come to that Hopefully you can, but if you can't, next week on July 31st at 8 p.m. at the Alchemist Kitchen, one of my other favorite places in the city here in the East Village, I'm doing a creative writing workshop. We're talking about using journaling for anxiety, and it's going to be very interactive, very fun. I would love for you to be there. So that's on the 31st at 8 at the Alchemist Kitchen. Can you believe that it's borderline August? I hope you guys are having a good summer. I I feel like it was just May. It's so weird how quick the summer's going. But I hope you're having a good one. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, and if you weren't sold on listening to this episode already, I actually share, and this probably won't sell you, but I share something in this episode that's maybe the biggest change that is happening in my life. Definitely in my 20s. Definitely since moving to New York. That was probably the biggest, but... Anyway, I share about something that's changing and has been going on for the last six years, but is stopping. And I don't know, it was cool to talk about in the podcast because I don't really talk about it on the podcast. But 
Enjoy this episode of the Mastin, and I'll talk to you at the end. I recently discovered a brand new period product that can completely replace pads, tampons, and even menstrual cups and helps give people a comfortable period no matter how active you are. And they're supporting today's episode. They're called Flex and they're actually, when I talk to them on the phone, they're the only period product that's been designed since the 1930s. They're designed by women for the modern woman's body and lifestyle. Most people don't realize that some symptoms associated with your period, like cramping or even yeast infections, might be associated with the products that we're using. And Flex was designed to solve some of those issues. It's internally worn by women. It's super comfortable. You barely feel it once it's inserted. And it fits your on-the-go lifestyle. It's great for whenever you're traveling. You can leave it in for 12 hours and it's easy to change and disposable so you don't have to worry about cleaning it out when you're out and about or traveling. It's really comfortable, great for workouts, people have even run marathons in them, and it's innovative. That's why I think this is neat. I want to tell you guys about new products that are truly innovative. And check it out. If it's right for you, you'll know. Let me know what you think of this product. I think it's fantastic that they're innovating in this category that hasn't really had much innovation in it. Anyway, check out Flex. I think that you'll love them. They are comfortable and they will fit your lifestyle. If you want to check them out, you can just go to IHateTampons.com and use the code LETITOUT to get an additional 30% off your next purchase. Again, that's LETITOUT at checkout and check them out. listening for a while you know I'm fascinated by my own relationship to technology specifically my phone and even more specifically social media which is why I've been bringing it up on the podcast lately and I'm super excited to talk about this new app called Lil Space L-I-L Space they are an app that's so in alignment to what I've been pondering and thinking about and talking about lately, which is the need for balance in terms of our use of technology and social media. The Little Space app is about building community around taking breaks from our phones so we can feel connected even when we're disconnecting from technology. It's an app that helps you break bad phone habits and develop some healthier ones by rewarding you for the time you spend disconnected. They have groups and activities where you can choose to disconnect and learn new things instead. Maybe journaling or yoga or whatever you're into. I think this app is tremendous. It's helped me in my life and I'd really love it if you guys tried it. If you want to, the link is in the show notes. Go to getlilspace, that's G-E-T-L-I-L space.com to download it onto your phone. And here's the best part. For the month of July, if you join me and our Let It Out family community and unplug, you can unplug for a cause. We're doing a challenge with Lil Space to support Real Girl, one of my favorite charities. I've had the founder, Anea, on the podcast a while ago, and they're going to donate a dollar for every hour we spend disconnected, which is so cool. And I am so passionate about 
this organization and it's really cool that we can all do something good for ourselves and then also for the world as a whole together so check it out listen to my episode with Anea if you want to know more about Real Girl and check out Lil Space I'm so grateful that they're supporting this podcast conversation and like a, a nice catch-up. Yeah. I've been liking starting this podcast in the present before we get into your past and your future and you know how we met. I want to know what's been on your mind. What have you been realizing, contemplating, <laughs> learning like today? Or in the yeah. Last well, the conversation for me um, has pivoted to something that is, it uh, seems a little bit unlikely uh, when I think about it. And there's no, there's no like fancy or nice or uh, shiny way to say it, but the conversation to me is all about emotional trauma mm-hmm. and, and or emotional resilience. Um, that's really been on my mind a lot. Um, it's been on my mind for a long time, but it's been very present for me in the last probably, I would say, year and then right in front of my face for the last six months. Um, and it's becoming more and more obvious to me because I paid attention to... Uh, I'm always paying attention to like what's emerging, and, like what problems are people starting to have, and like what's the conversation that's emerging versus what people are talking about right now. And the thing that I see consistently is that there's a desire to go deeper than uh, the basics around meditation, yoga, uh, food, because belief, trauma, and lifestyle trump nutrition, wellness, and uh, um, coping skills, yeah. essentially. And so it feels to me like there's a deeper desire to go into, you know, like the real reason why someone is stuck, the real reason why we are where we are in the world today. And it all comes from emotional trauma. And if you don't understand emotional trauma and the mechanism of it and how it's working, you're not going to understand why you're stuck. You won't have compassion for others. And you certainly won't understand the, the times at large. Um, and so that's been very present for me. And I've been trying to figure out a way to say it in a way that's like kind of painted in a better way because you hear the word trauma and it's very misunderstood. Right. Um, it's also kind of scary, like it's like a scary word, like cancer is kind of scary. Yeah. Um, but I think um, I think it's a time to talk about it. Yeah. And um, that's what's up for me and that's everything that we, every, I've been focused on uh, very intently for the last six months and everything moving forward as well. We'll be focused on, on some version of uh, emotional trauma, how to resolve it, how to have resilience, how to thrive, all that type of stuff. Can you define emotional trauma for everyone sure. listening? Are these the hereditary wounds that we picked up since childhood? Is that what you mean when you say that? Some of them are even pre-childhood. If you get into epigenetics, yeah. it's trauma and resilience is passed down generationally too. And that's very clearly known now in the genome. <clears throat> and uh, through gene expression, we can see uh, genes turned on and off. And there absolutely are trauma genes, uh, which is a fascinating topic. Yeah. But uh, trauma basically is just wounding. So it doesn't have to be just domestic abuse or sexual assault. Those are certainly traumas. But the, the archetypal mindset around trauma is usually something violent, something very aggressive, something that makes the news. Um, and those are certainly traumas. But there are other traumas. Breakups, soul-sucking job, starting a business can be traumatizing because it's way different than people expect. Roommates. Um, re- yeah, everything. Like, your fa- my father left for two weeks on a trip when I was five years old. I was convinced I would have to get a new father. Like, that was a s- tiny little wound. You know, my mother, she uh, had a, uh, a broken back. 
and we were always focused on taking care of her. So my parents were great. I would say I had great parents, but the emotional tending was to her, not me. So there was a level, I hate to use this word, but neglect is probably the best word, right. where like my needs weren't necessarily the focus, which is typically not how it is in a, in a household. Right. So that's, quote, traumatizing because it produces a, an emotional wound, but you can't see it. You can see a broken bone. You can see, uh, you can even see, I mean, now we can even see C-reactive protein in tests as an inflammatory marker. But the, the, we, we can't identify and visualize trauma yet, but it shows up in the form of anxiety, depression, uh, mental health disorders, uh, suicidal thoughts, addiction. All like trauma is the underbelly. And if you look at what's happening in the world today, um, you know, even t like literally yesterday with the, the border stuff, right? The reason why people are outraged is because it's producing more trauma for children, right? So that's the conversation. And so everyone has it. Um, and if someone says, "I don't have it." If, I, if you have any level of, of stress, anxiety, depression, if you have any of that type of stuff going on, if you're exhausted, if you have chronic illness, there's absolutely if you're a trauma. Person. Yeah, <laughs> but people think I, I don't have trauma because I had a good childhood, right. or because I didn't have some type of aggressive thing happen to me. But every human being absolutely does. It's just it's it's, yeah. it's emotional wounding. That's all it is. Yeah, and and it's part of the human experience, I think. And I think that I've been thinking about this a lot and focusing on you know going no matter how great your childhood is or you think that your childhood was, there are little things that happened from society, not even just from your That's parents, right. from middle school. Like, middle school is traumatic. It sure is. <laughs> High school is very traumatizing for yeah, me. Yeah, all of it, but, but I mean, for me, more, like, yeah. more middle school, but totally. also high school. Totally. Also yesterday, I mean, there's yeah. just little things that build up and that we're not even aware of because it's socialized to be, it's normalized. That's right. Like, these things are normalized and I think, it's so cool that you're talking about this and going deeper of un unblocking and like kind of doing that mental gymnastics on yourself to, to understand like why we are the way we are and how we can see it differently. So I guess that's my next question then, like what are some ways to, you know, fix these wounds yeah. from emotional trauma? Great question. So the first thing to understand is like, especially today, like I was just talking to Marianne Williamson about this. We were having dinner the other night. and. And, and the thing that was, became very clear to me, because uh, it's still an, it's an emerging conversation, so I'm seeking clarity of thought. Mm -hmm. And the thing that became clear to me is that you have to focus on both uh, treating the root cause uh, and treating the symptom. And simultaneously, and this is Marianne's point, you can't wait to resolve all your stuff before you take action. Whether it's you know, being an activist, right? Or whether it's starting a business. Like you can't just say, oh, I'm so traumatized. That I can't move forward. You know, yeah. her, to her point, you know, the people in Selma were traumatized. They still mm -hmm. took action, yeah. right? And specifically, her context was around activism. Yeah. Um, but you could say the same thing about entrepreneurship. So there's this paradox of sorts where, on the one hand, it's all about treating the root cause, but you don't want to just because it, it can be a, a, an excuse where you're like, you know what, I can't do that because I'm so traumatized. Yeah. And you don't want to use it as an excuse. You want to want to use it as an opportunity to say that's the thing that I need to focus on to heal and it'll help me perform better to take more action and there are all kinds of different modalities uh, that you can employ to work on and start to heal your emotional trauma and um, the, the phrase I'm sort of coining and talking about right now is called trauma hacking and the idea is that there's an individual unique approach and similar to biohacking it's on you to kind of figure that out because even like the most advanced functional doctors even the most advanced therapists don't have a common language about this yet. And so it's up to us um, to be able to sort of say what works for me. There are some pillars that I do believe are, should be the foundational pieces of um, 
looking at how to reverse and or feel better with trauma. And some of it you'll probably be very familiar with. Mm-hmm. But believe it or not, the, one of the foundational pieces is gut microbiome health. And gut microbiome is emerging as like a centerpiece in the universe of the human being. It's like everything happens there. I spent the last six months working with a company called Viome, uh, which is a sort of a cutting edge, leading edge uh, microbiome testing company. They do a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning with their diagnostics. And their chief medical officer came out of the Human Genome Project, or Human Longevity Institute, uh, which is the guy who did the Human Genome Project. And she's like a genomics expert. And I had to take all this information and learn how to market it to people in a way that they could understand it. So I had to consume a lot of science around the gut microbiome. And what was amazing was is that mental health, like brain uh, chemical imbalances, is a result of microbiome dysbiosis because the majority of the neurotransmitters are produced in the gut. So the dopamine, the serotonin, the GABA, oxytocin, the bonding uh, neurotransmitter, all of that is primarily produced, not all, not all of it, a lot of it is primarily produced in the gut microbiome. There's a, uh, a connection between the gut and the brain that's bi-directional via the vagus nerve, and there's 10 times more information that comes from the gut to the brain than the brain to the gut. So if you have a brain imbalance, you actually probably have a microbiome imbalance. And so when you focus your care on microbiome health, uh, which we could get into, you start to feel better because your body starts to repair leaky gut so that literally shit is not leaking into you, yeah. <laughs> right? Literally. Um, and you can start to you know digest and also absorb your food. Yeah. And you're eating the right food for you because everything has to be personalized. That you can't just be paleo because some foods don't work for people. In the volume sense, 30% of their customers have an inflammatory response to spinach. Which you would think spinach is like green, it's a smoothie thing, but it causes inflammation in 30% of Biome's customers. So we're starting to see that. I would love to hear it. I'd, yeah. I would love to see it if you did a test too to see if it, your Octobacter is there. But um, so what we're learning is there's no such thing as a healthy food, just healthy food for you. Mm. And what makes you sick can make me healthy and vice versa. Yeah. So, but it starts with gut, uh, gut microbiome health concurrently with doing your trauma work, and that's what functional life coaching really is, is how to identify that root cause trauma, and how to realize like, oh my gosh, everything I've been doing, instead of feeling shame about it, I'm gonna realize I've been trying to survive. And so I can have compassion for myself that, yeah, yeah I kicked, I, maybe I did have another breakup and was a jerk again, but I, I'm really good at being alone. Yeah. So I'm gonna have compassion for myself that it's scary for me to be in a relationship, or it's scary for me to go to the next level in a business because it means I have to break all the rules and agreements I have with my family. So it has a, there's a different understanding of why we do what we do. There's a lot less guilt, shame, and sort of self-deprecation uh, and self yeah, making, making yourself wrong for this stuff and realizing actually you've been surviving really, really well, just not thriving, right? Yeah. And thriving is a whole other story, but if you start to look at your root cause trauma and how to make your nervous system feel safe in those situations, which is what functional coaching does, and you start to look at gut microbiome health. I had a conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who's the father of functional medicine, like he's Mark Hyman's mentor, and we were talking about this. And we couldn't decide which one's more important, microbiome health or trauma health. So we kind of decided chicken and the egg, both of this, both are super yeah. important, but that's the foundation. And then, if you're improving your gut microbiome health, if you're working on your nervous system and realizing that your core traumas are how you coped, and you're working through that, and then you go do EMDR, you go do uh, neurofeedback, it's gonna stick because if you go do EMDR neurofeedback but your gut's messed up, you're fixed, you're working on the brain, but the brain is primarily informed by the health of the gut. So EMDR and neurofeedback are kind of like 
coping mechanisms if you have gut dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. But if you have a balanced microbiome and you're doing your trauma work, EMDR, Kundalini Yoga, all of the different sort of uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, all that stuff works a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, but those are different modalities and you have to kind of figure out which one works for you. Just like the food, you have to figure out what food is right for you. Because yeah. not, not everyone's going to go to EFT or tapping. Right. Not everyone's going to go to EMDR. They're going to pick their modality. Right. And there's a lot of different modalities out there. But the functional coaching and the functional medicine, which is the gut microbiome health, those two things are like pillars. Yeah. I love two things that you have when you say about having compassion for yourself, about the coping mechanisms and the things that have gone off of how you wanted them to go, almost like looking at the way you were raised and your parents and as they're do they did the best they could and you were doing the best you could with your circumstances and your gut and all of that and I love that. And one thing you asked me before we started recording was about my audience and I forgot to mention a, a big thing, which is that a lot of people who listen are coming from the eating disorder world and because they're attracted to my story and people who and I was just I just had a conversation with Dr. Frank Lipton mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago on the podcast and Love him. he yeah it was great and we were talking about you know these sorts of things and, and gut health and I, I, I kind of went into that conversation apprehensive because I love him and I love his work but I have so many people who are very who listen to this podcast because it's my tendency, so I attract people like me who are overly concerned about what they're eating and doing, and that causes more anxiety and stress. Sure. And so where is that balance of like knowing these things are important and that the my gut microbiome is very important, but also we have to live in this world and we have so few senses and we, you know, part of food isn't just fuel and nourishment, it's also connection and love and comfort. And trying to, of course, find those things outside of food and not using it as a coping mechanism, but also knowing that for me, I'll speak for myself, I've gone so down the rabbit hole with wellness and orthorexia and all of the things that I've gotten, I've <laughs> detached from the world in, in yeah. a way. So how how do you help people to, to be well-rounded in that yeah. sense? And, and well, oh, I, my point about Frank was that he was saying that um, people in my generation need a lot more chilling out. Like, don't worry so much about what you're eating. Worry <laughs> about the stress, you know? Yeah. And try to be less anxious and not, you know, be so fearful because they're already controlling so much. And yeah. people in the generation above me and in my parents' generation do need the kind of fear of, like, knowledge and science and, like, knowing, knowing these things. But people who are my age and especially younger are coming in already like, I don't eat gluten, I don't eat dairy, I don't eat sugar. What else is wrong yeah, with me? Yeah, and he's yeah. like, you're stressed. So what's your kind of Yeah, so this is a great question. And um, so I, I literally just worked out this conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Bland because okay. I showed him the function. I was with him for a couple of days uh, back in April or March. And I showed him the functional coaching model. I was literally sitting next to him at a conference. And I was like, hey, Dr. Bland, we started talking and we became sort of friendly. And I, I showed him the model and he really loved the model um, and had a couple things to add to it. And basically after talking with him for a period of time, because he's the functional medicine guy, um, we kind of figured out that there's like these two sides of the coin, right? There's, we'll call it the mindset and emotional trauma work, which is uh, well documented. And then there's the sort of, the, we'll just call it wellness or functional medicine side, which includes everything that you're talking about. And, and you need both sides of the coin. You can't have just one or the other because a lot of times people go see a functional medicine person 
because they have a chronic illness that they may not know that they have a Lyme disease or something else or, you know, you know all the itis is, all that type yeah. of stuff. But the thing is, you can get all the tests in the world and know the right lifestyle choices to make and know to avoid inflammatory foods and stuff like that. But if you don't do the trauma work, then those coping mechanisms will continue because the chronic illness, and I would throw in eating disorders in that category because I had, uh, I'm a former bulimic uh, myself for over a decade um, professionally. <laughs> um, so I understand it. And I've had a lot of uh, clients who have different eating disorders um, and we can talk about that in a second. But, but it's, 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 a, it's a more holistic, if you want to talk about integrative, you really have to take the emotional trauma side into it, which is, it's not just mental health, it's gut, it's gut health too. And so it's, the anxiety about the food is really perfectionism, mm -hmm. right? And like, what's running, what's that about? And then we start to get down below yeah. and we look at control. <laughs> yeah. And then what's below control is a feeling of powerlessness. Why is that there? Something happened. And it's right. body image in the society that we live in, I think, too, because when you talk about perfectionism in this conversation, I think I, I talk about this a lot of like the, the root of why, why is it that you think that fat is bad and thin is good? You know, why is it that you want your body? The, the world has body diversity and that's a beautiful thing. We shouldn't all look the same because that would be so boring. And totally. so looking at that, that's what's really helped me. And I'm not perfect at this at all, but being like, okay, this is what I've got to work with this time around. Yep. And knowing that, you know, I'm not going to look like an Olsen twin or I'm not going to look like, you know, something that I see in a magazine and neither do a lot of people and that's great. And I think having that conversation helps me to nourish myself better and take care of myself better. But I guess, I like, going on the, the gut health topic a little bit more just because I know people listening and, and myself included sometimes I hear that and I tense up and I'm like one of the greatest joys in life is you know I live in New York City I like to go out to dinner and live my life and I want to be able to have fun with my friends and sometimes that includes going out to dinner and eating something I wouldn't normally sure. eat and I want that to be okay and I of don't want to feel guilt and I don't want to feel shame and I don't want to feel bad for that can you speak on that oh yeah of course so Everything you're speaking about is, is, so resilience is the name of the game. And resilience boils down to, it's not what you go through, it's how you go through it. And that would be in your life. And then in your body, it's not, <laughs> it's not what goes through you, it's how it goes through you, mm -hmm. right? So if you have leaky gut, if you have a uh, 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 lack of internal resilience in your microbiome, for example, you go have a great pasta dish, or you have an inflammatory foods, you're going to pay the price because you are you're in a you don't have a lot of resilience or strength built up in your ability to cope with that. Mm -hmm. But if you do like a reset and you get to a place where you have more resilience, you don't have as much leaky gut, you're really prepared. Then of course you could absolutely do that and have less of an impact. Same thing with insulin resistance. So it's also like how where you are in your life, right? So especially if you're younger, there has to be a level of like what the doc said. Like there's a level of chill. You have to kind of relax. It's not about getting the food perfect. It's, it's knowing, it's having the knowledge and what are you doing with that knowledge, right? How are you relating to that knowledge? Are you using it as a way to look at all the ways you're messing up or are you looking at it as a way to be informed and to make and to live a holistic life? And to the anxiety, to the comparison part of it, that is systemic in younger generations. And I would include myself in that even though I'm a little bit older than you are 
because of primarily social media. And social media is sort of like high school or, or middle school like on steroids. Yeah. You can see how many followers they have, how many you don't have, yeah. right? You can see how many likes, all that type of stuff. And that is really an orientation of where is your self-worth coming from. Yeah. And your self-worth cannot come from an algorithm or likes. And if it is, we have to look at what's missing in your life. Where is that coming from? It's a lack of self-acceptance a lot and stuff like that. And so that's where the inner game stuff starts to come in. And then we have to look at where were you not accepted in your life? Yeah. And why are you looking externally for that? And by the way, you're coping, which is, it's fine. But if you want to get free from that, we have to look elsewhere. And a funny thing starts to happen, you know, when you, the less you care about likes, the more likes you tend to get. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it's like not attachment. The less you care about anything, the more it starts to come that's in. Right. When I stopped wanting a book deal, the book deal came in. When that's I right. stopped wanting everything, that's when I've gotten it. But speaking about comparison, I, I was doing another podcast yesterday and someone asked me about body image and where I was with it. And I, I was saying that, you know, I think that, like you said, it's systemic and it's just a reality of being human is what I've really come to with that. Of like, it's just part of this human experience and that's fine. And comparison is, is why. Like if we, only, if we lived on an island alone and we were the only human being and we had a mirror and we saw our own body, we would think it was perfect no matter what it looked like. Yeah. And the only reason why we find fault in our body or our hair or like why we think, you know, one thing is good and one thing is bad is because of our culture and our standards of beauty and our society. And like the reality is we don't live on an island alone, so comparison is going to be there. <laughs> but social media elevates that so yes. much. So that's something I've been talking about on the podcast. Just go off that, I guess, but also talk about your relationship to social media, technology, all of the things. I, How are well, you yeah. that now? So it's a great question. So what, we have to put that question in context. So here's the context. Exponential growth. Meaning, the amount of change that we're gonna see in the next five to 10 years will be the same amount of change we saw in the previous 20 or 30. Things are going faster and faster and faster and faster. That terrifies me. Uh, <laughs> well, it's Moore's Law, right? So um, that, that's something uh, we could talk about. But, but things are going faster because you know, we're getting into very early, I won't call it artificial intelligence yet, that's a little premature, but definitely machine learning where machines are starting to understand and interpret data. And we're starting to see analysts in certain companies no longer required, meaning there's a whole bunch of categories of jobs that are disappearing because algorithms are doing the jobs of human beings faster and faster. You're seeing social media, and the cool thing about social media is that kids are growing up today, and like the idea of someone in a foreign country is sort of a foreign idea because you're just seeing everything everywhere, yeah. and people are connecting, but the other problem is is the more connected we're becoming, we're, the good of us is becoming more connected, and then the unhealed trauma part of us is also becoming more connected, and the tools are emerging to be able to cope with that. So my, one of my big focuses is, you know, you got Elon Musk and all these guys that want to go to Mars and build interplanetary systems, and that's cool, and I support it, and I love it. I, I think it's a more Star Trek Next Generation version than some doom and gloom idea of the future. But in order to sustain exponential growth, you have to have primarily exponential healing. Because in the coming, gosh, 10, 15 years, with all of the emerging artificial intelligence systems, the majority of the task-based jobs will be completely replaced. You will not have Uber drivers anymore. You won't have people flipping hamburgers anymore. There's gonna be an existential crisis. Like, we haven't seen anything yet compared to what's ahead. So when we look at um, social media as an example, that is the one of the first examples of an exponential technology doing a, a, a pattern interrupt on the human nervous system. 
Because before, if we were just in our community or culture, like when I was growing up, there wasn't social media. I mean, I can't even imagine if there was. Like the pictures of me would just be like, I would definitely not have credibility, right? Because uh, I got into some crazy shit. But like just coping with like high school, at high school, for me was hard. I can't imagine on Facebook too and all that type of stuff. I can't yeah. imagine that. Um, but so it's, it's about human beings becoming, evolving to become more resilient, having these healing processes and practices and understanding that it will become more and more intense. The, the pressure on the human nervous system will just continuously increase as these technologies start to emerge because pretty soon you'll have, you, we're starting to look at basic automations, but then things, automations will start automating things. And so all of a sudden, you know, there's just gonna be a, a, a lot more of the type of things that we're seeing and the types of businesses that will emerge. It'll be a paradigm shift like from the agricultural age to the industrial age. It'll be that big of a deal, but it'll happen that fast because uh, that's how exponential growth works. So the goal as a human being to relate to technology is to realize you're never gonna keep up. Like just yesterday, Instagram launched a whole new platform. Just yesterday. They did? Yeah, it's Instagram TV. It's like an hour long platform where you can like upload longer videos. Just yesterday, right? So, and there's Facebook changed their algorithm back in December. Like it's always changing. There's always something to keep up yeah. with. And if you're keeping, if you're associating with it, like I have to keep up and I have to stay relevant. I have to, like you're gonna just burn out versus service mindset which is how can I serve and if you can change your mindset from I have to be stay relevant to how can I best serve then that's going to give you resilience but it's also going to kill the FOMO fear of missing out which is something that really drives people so the way that I relate with technology is I'm not someone who's like don't look at your screen the first thing when you wake up like I don't work like that like I I have a, a, a pretty healthy relationship with my screen but I also associate with my business I uh, I'm very engaged in my business. I don't think the visionary implementer thing is really a thing for me. Um, I don't want to just like set it and forget it. Like I want my business to scale and grow. Um, so I'm very much associated with it, but I have tremendous resilience, uh, longevity, agility, and self-care routines. Yeah, basically in your entire life, you don't have leaky gut. So if you're, to use your previous analogy, your relationship with your phone can be like that pasta meal, it's fine. Exactly. If you're, you're resilient to it. That that makes sense, I love that. I feel like we should, I want to talk about entrepreneurship, but I, I let's go back first and talk about you and people, most people listening probably know you and your story <laughs> and, and, and all of it, but I wanna go way back. Like, what were you like before you were couch surfing and started the Daily Love and Kim Kardashian um, retweeted your t tweet and the story that a lot of people might know and I'd love if you, you tell some of that, but what were you like as a kid, like as an early kid? A pain in the ass. What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> um, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Really? Yeah, and um, we can talk about that because baseball has been re-emerging in my life lately. Oh, cool. um, but when I was about 15 years old, I was a wrestler too, and I was wrestling, and I had my uh, rotator cuff and my throwing arm snapped when I was wrestling. And the doctor at the time basically said, you'll never throw again. Aww. And I believed him because I was a 14, 15-year-old kid, yeah. and my dreams died. Oh. And what's been interesting about that is um, one of the practices I've been doing the last year or so is um, a very specific type of myofascial release. You know, myofascial releases like yoga, there's lots of different types of yoga. Um, and when most people think of myofascial release, they think of like a rolfing or like some type of like I just went thing. to a class on it some, um, Saturday last week, a rooftop. Oh, nice. These lacrosse balls. And yeah, 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 yeah. So like that, and, and like there's the scraping stuff. 
But so there's a specific type of MFR called John Barnes. It's John Barnes MFR. It's very subtle. It's the most powerful stuff I've ever been through. And John Barnes' approach to, to uh, fascia is uh, probably the most holistic I've seen. It's very subtle movements. I, I leave feeling very good. But I have a, uh, MFR, a John Barnes person come to my house once a week. And I started feeling like a lot of like pain in my shoulder, which is you know where the injury was, my right shoulder. And she started working on it. And I had this like unwinding is what it's called. And like this is gonna sound crazy, but my head went left and right like this for 10 minutes on its own. And I was like, Allie, what the hell is going on? Oh my God. And she's like, oh yeah, no big deal, it's an unwinding. I'm like, what's an unwinding, you know? And she's like, your fascia is just trying to like release something. And I was like, like when you hit your knee and like it. Yeah, but it was just on its like, own going left and right like this. And I was like, hard. Allie, this is so weird. And by the end of it, I felt this huge release in my shoulder here. And my arm felt like a lightsaber. Like, like all this energy was running down my arm. Whoa. And I was crying and I was angry. <laughs> right? And I was like, what's going on? And, uh, and she's like, your body's trying to tell you something. And then I started thinking about baseball. And all, all the memories of like baseball started coming back. And the dreams that I had never mourned. And like, it's almost like I hated my shoulder. And like, I even sleep on my on my left side, not my right side, because I kind of ignore it. I, I, I've had I kind of walk with like my right side up a little bit, and I didn't realize it. But I put there's a lot of anger, sadness, and like the energy was stored in my body, like the emotion was stored there, and I released it, and then I couldn't stop thinking about baseball. Wow. Um, and so I've been kind of training for that again, which has been really interesting. But um, you know, that was a, a dream that I had as a kid, and when I was about 15 years old, it died, and I just kind of shoved it away and never dealt with it. And you could say, but look at all the impact you're having now, Mastin. And I would say, yes, and there's still that like sistership or that other life that could have been there, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm still sort of processing, but um, it's been really interesting to kind of re-get back into baseball. I'll start going back to Dodger games, start to kind of like re-engage, go to some batting practice and stuff like that. It's been really fun. Yeah. But that was, my, that, was my, that was my love and still is, is, is baseball. It's like such a, it's a fantastic, it's a, yeah, it's a psychological sport. <laughs> yeah, I never would have. Yeah. Because it was too painful. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. That's really cool, and I relate to that. I, I grew up wanting to. I, I'm from a small town in Michigan, and I had. And my mom's one of six, and all of them stayed in that small town except one, who moved to New York. And I always wanted to live in New York, and he worked in, in theater. He was an actor and became a director. And I did musical theater, and I did all yeah. the things, and I had someone tell me when I was like young in middle school, or in, I think it was maybe high school, I, I didn't make the freshman year play and somebody like said my voice wasn't good enough. And then I was just like, okay, well I am done. Mm -hmm. And that was great, I'm over this. But like all I wanted to do is act. And I, what I did instead was I studied broadcast journalism because I was like, well, I'll get kind of a hit of that performance mm -hmm. element from this, but it's safe and yep. I can go to college for it and blah, blah, blah. And then weirdly, like when I graduated, my career was in this malleable place and I was super into wellness from a very unhealthy perspective. And so I ended up doing what I'm doing now and, and same thing, but it's like it's still in the back of my head, like this hits a lot of those notes, yeah. but I also started doing improv and I also started like taking acting classes because I was like, this is a part of me that I want to get yeah. into. I'm not gonna like be a movie star, but I can utilize the this hobby that I totally. like, you know? Totally. Well, I think also like, at least for me, you know, I'm 36 now, so like prime baseball age is 22. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's a level of, I have a business, I have that things going, 
So it's not like there's all this pressure to like make it the thing, mm -hmm. which means you can do, at least for me, what I originally wanted to do, which is play the game. Yeah. That's what it was all about, was playing the game. Totally. I have started to think about uh, for next year, because I'm getting my business sort of systematized and automated, it'd be kind of fun to do a minor league run. Yeah. I just play some single layer double A ball. In Asheville, where I live, there's a single A team. And uh, I would feel like I could get, I mean, they only throw it about 80 miles an hour. So I think I could probably, not, it's not 100 mile an hour fastball, it's like yeah. 80 mile an hour fastball. I'm pro I can definitely hit that. So I was, I've been toying with the idea of like, what would it look like to take, you know, whatever, five months off, because my systems are in place, yeah. and do a minor league run just for fun, you so know. Um, it'd be interesting. So I've, I've been toying with that, but it would be for fun. It wouldn't be because yeah. I want to be, you know, in the World Series or something like that. It would just be fun, but it'd be kind of a cool story to tell too. You yeah, know? and think um, about what you would learn from being, totally. like, putting yourself in a group that you're not normally in and think totally. about like how you could help the, the team mentally oh yeah like, i kind of coach them all yeah <laughs> oh, that's really cool so you mentioned Asheville, and i when did you move to Asheville? uh i have never really talked i don't really talk about it because uh we never and jen and i like we we never like want to just announce that we live there uh -huh. but we live there um and i moved there probably about two years ago okay and you know most people still think i live in la yeah um but I post a lot of pictures in Nashville, and people just think I go there a lot or something, yeah. I'm not sure, but I, I, I live there and uh, I love it. And it's a hop, skip, and a jump to New York here. Mm -hmm. It's like a one hour flight. So it's kind of like living in Connecticut or yeah. Brooklyn, depending on traffic. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's great, and I go out to LA a lot. But the cool thing about Asheville is the environment is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't think the South was a place I'd ever be, mm -hmm. but Asheville is an incredible place with very liberal, loving, caring people. Yeah very relationship-driven people. You know, I always forget, because when I come to New York or LA, I would try to be nice to people and just, just cut off, and they're like, don't pay attention. Um, Sounds like the Midwest. Totally, yeah, for sure. Same, well, same thing, I grew up in Kansas, right? But I forget, because I just that's yeah. how it is there, down there. But it's, it's a, a great place, and the um, you know, cost of living is fantastic. The, the, it's a great hiring market. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of emerging technology. There's actually a lot of venture capital there, believe it or not. Um, it's really emerging as an as a epicenter in Charlotte, next to New York is the largest uh, financial sort of area in the country. Oh. So um, it's a hop, skip, and jump from there. So it's a really amazing economy yeah. down there, actually. It's interesting because, I didn't tell you this, but before I moved to New York, I was obsessed. I lived in Detroit, as you know, yep. and I was obsessed with moving to Asheville. That was, oh, no way. I don't know why. Just I, I've never been. No one, everyone told me, like, you would love Asheville. You would love Asheville. <laughs> and I really want to visit. So that's, like... Well, if you ever come visit, let me know. I would love to. Let's, take let's, out. let's hang out. I want to see the mountains. I want to... I really, really want to go. And I love being in New York, and I definitely have some more time here, but I don't know if I'll live here forever. Wait, so, there, just so you know, there's an a, a, a airline called Allegiant Air. Okay. And uh, they're actually pretty awesome. Uh -huh. And they're... They're a discount airline, but they have a great culture. Cool. And there's a, a direct flight from Newark to Asheville, Done. and it's like an hour. Okay, great. So, like, well, I'm it's gonna not do that far. it like this this year, and I will yeah, definitely. It's, let I you mean, know. like, think of it as close. It's not great. far. Great, great. That would be like a great vacation and weekend. Which, which brings me to let's let's talk about entrepreneurship because I, okay, so we I mentioned this before we were recording, but we met four years ago yep. in person. Yeah. I've been following you and the Daily Love for years. Fan follower, loved everything, read read all of your content. And I come to your book signing with my boss at my full-time job. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I remember. Because um, I got her into it too. And I really loved my, my full, I didn't, okay. I, I went into my full-time job. It was my first job out of college. I was there for six years. Am there, I guess. And 
I knew the day I got that job, I wasn't excited. I was just like, meh. It was like a means to an end. You know, I didn't want to live at home. I wanted to blog and I wanted to teach yoga. And I was like, but how do I make money? And my, you know, I need 401k and benefits because that's what I saw modeled for me, right? So I get this job. And when I saw you, I'd been working there for maybe two, two years at that point. And I raised my hand in this huge Westin, I think it was, uh-huh, yeah. um, hotel. And you called on me. And I was basically asking like some version of how do I know when it's time to leave my full-time job? And you gave me this quote that I, I wrote down here. I have looked at my notes one time. But I wrote this down and you said to me this quote that I wrote down and I say this to people all the time and I don't even know if you remember this, but you said, go all in on plan A, forget plan B, it's a fucking distraction from plan A. And I'll have you explain what you meant by that, but I'll just tell you first. Finally, it's funny that you're seeing me now, I gave my notice of my job, my last day is August 31st. Amazing. the people listening to this podcast probably don't even know that I've had a full-time job this whole time. I didn't know. Yeah. Wow. Still, I've had a full-time job this entire time. Yeah, all of this stuff has happened, and finally, like, oh, I listened awesome. to your advice. So, it <laughs> took me a second, but I did. Yeah, congratulations. So, that's a small thing. So, anyway, what did you mean by that? Well, so, a funny thing happens when you have a plan B. It tends to become plan A very quickly. It's like a fallback plan, right? The just-in-case, right? And, and I'm just a big believer, uh, you know, that comes from a Think and Grow Rich. They talk about if you want to burn the, uh, take the island, burn the boats, right? Which means if there is no other plan, you must make it work, basically. And that's just how I operate. You know, when I couch surf for two years, that wasn't like poor me. That was, I did that intentionally. I was like, I'm not going back into a job. I'm going to figure this shit out. And I forced myself into a position where I had to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and I just think that that, the nervous system is stubborn. And so if you have a safer option, you'll tend to focus on that. Yeah. And so one of the things I'm always working with on my clients and with myself is uh, to keep the main thing the main thing, <laughs> right? And if you have a plan B, then you'll most likely always default back to that. And I know someone's completely screwed when they tell me they have a six month plan to quit their job. They're yeah. just completely screwed. Right, your, your, yours is relatively close, you have a plan, right? But if someone tells me, you know what, I'll do it in six months, I go, complete bullshit, six months is two years. Because six months is just far enough out where you don't have to quite take action yet, yeah. but close enough to where you think you'll leave soon. So there's like, freedom is close. And I can't tell you how long someone says six months from now. Yeah. They can do that for three, four, five, six years sometimes. It's interesting because I think we're very different. So I'm, my threshold for uncertainty and change is, is rather low. and. For me, it was nice to not have to put the pressure on my work to make me money right totally. away. I was able to be taken care of by this other thing, and it didn't mean that I didn't do it, because I obviously did of it. Course. But now it's gotten to a point where it's bubbled up where I have fully two full-time jobs, you know? Yeah, so totally. I'm excited to see like the speeding up of things when I have singular focus, because now on a good day, I'm putting 50% of myself, maybe 80% of myself, when my other work's slow, but that's unpredictable and that has to come first right now. And so totally. finally making that choice, you know, I probably could have done it a year ago, but maybe I would have been so uncertain that I would have just been scared. I don't know. Like for me, this, this worked out as, as my timing. Yeah, well, everyone has the right time. You yeah. know? And there's, what's interesting, because I'm fascinated by how the hell do you get someone to actually freaking change, right? Like yeah. that is always the question. 
And um, one of the things I found is that uh, on average, so average is not everybody, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, average is sort of like a, 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 an amalgamation of everybody. Yeah. So on average though, people consider transformation for two or three years before they actually do it, mm. right? Um, for the very reason that you just stated. Uh, for whatever reason, that's not how I'm wired. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is, is that you took consistent steps to move forward every single day. There was something in you that was driving you and there's gonna be a very different nervous system response when September 1st is here yeah. and your all of your income will be reliant upon you. Yeah, right? I've never there will paid be a quickening. It's always gone much. it's always gone back in. I've never paid myself. That's right. There will be a quickening for sure where you're like I got to make something happen a little bit faster. Yeah. But it's also I, you know I haven't um, I'm not fully aware of the entire process but my assumption would be is that you've also got a lot of things in order internally so that you can handle the resilience and the stress that will be coming. Yeah. With the with doing your own business because it's a different there's it's a different type of world yeah you know so it sounds like to me that you have, you're a rare you're rare because most people if they're in a full time job or something like that they wouldn't they wouldn't titrate like you have yeah you 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 are unique in that sense well and I also have to say my full time job wasn't a passion it was just it was a way to fund this instead totally. of getting VC for this thing I'm making next. I'm able to fund it personally. Yep. And so that's, that's what that was. But something else that I want to talk about through that I wrote down in my notes that is something that I got from you that I always love and I think speaks to a tendency of mine, especially two years ago, that is a bit less now is something you talked about in your talk at Wonderlust maybe like three or four oh, yeah. years ago, spiritual entertainment. <laughs> yes. And I... I think that's why in my book, when you signed it, you wrote less daily love TV and more action because I was doing that. I was definitely someone who would, you know, look at you and Gabby Bernstein and Marie and, and all of these people who I really thought were great and were expanders for me to show me what was possible and that a career was different than what I saw modeled for me. But I wasn't actually taking the action as much as I could be. What did What did you mean by that? Yeah. So look, there's no look. Entertainment is not a bad thing. You know, like this podcast is a form of entertainment, um, meaning it's it's occupying your attention, killing your attention, hopefully. Um, and uh, entertainment or consumption of personal development material is not enough. You can get these aha moment addictions where like you're addicted to the aha moment, yeah. but you're not living an aha life. And it's, it's, it's where it goes from idea to implementation. And that, that's the hard part. Um, someone who, uh, <laughs> their whole brand is based on that idea is uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He's really occupied that space quite well uh, around, you know, just basically just do it, right? It's yeah. like the new Nike. And I'm a big believer in that. I have a little bit of a different approach to it because um, I like to kind of, be direct with you know out the shame there's a there's a level of, of 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 straight talk that can make people feel ashamed that they're not doing something versus what you're doing which is very self-compassionate you're on your own journey you're taking your own steps it's a very empowered process um, but what I will say is that spiritual entertainment alone is not like just because you follow someone who is posting pictures of being in Bali doesn't mean you're in Bali right <laughs> that's kind of the idea. But you could trick your mind to sort of think that. That's right. Get a hit of it. That's right. And so, like, just because you say in your Instagram bio that you're an entrepreneur doesn't make you one. Totally. Right. And so it's, it's the actions that you take. And the thing that I really uh, admire are action takers and people who, for whatever reason, vary out into the unknown. Um, that's a, uh, those are my people. And it, I have a sort of a sense of divine dissatisfaction 
when people say one thing and then don't do it. It drives me crazy that that doesn't happen. Um, and so that's why I coined the phrase spiritual entertainment because it, it's, it's, it's better than say, uh, you know, violence all the time, something like that. But it's not something that's going to get you the result by itself. Yeah. And so you have to go from beyond just inspiration into implementation. And I think that also my observation of the just the marketplace in general and where this space is, is that it's maturing and people are really, you know, they, they understand kind of the basics. Like you, like you were saying, the gluten, I got it, or this, I got it, I got it, got it, got it. But like, what's the next thing? And I think that that's where the conversation around sort of emotional trauma and resilience kind of comes in because that is the mechanism that will either stop you or fuel you to get into action. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's my sort of take on it. And, you know, you look at any of you know, you look at me or any of my peers, we are, don't be fooled. We are way showers. Um, and anybody can do the same or greater. And the whole point is also the, the way that I look at it is the world needs more people doing this work because the world is having a psychotic break right now. And so like, it doesn't matter what your internal mindset is around yourself or what you think you can or can't do or how many other coaches are out there or whatever, like the world needs help (laughs) big time right now. And I have taken the last couple of years to focus on differentiation because I started in this space with the daily love, which was sort of a, a place where people came to contribute and I would share a little bit about my stuff too. And I stopped that. We were getting 4 million, you know, follow hits a month and it's a robust um, uh, platform. I killed it because it wasn't bringing me joy anymore. And I focused a lot on differentiation. At first, I was kind of looking to around everybody, kind of seeing what they were doing. And that was causing me far too much stress and too much comparison. And so I said, okay, I had to rechange my focus. And what I started to decide to focus on was solving people's problems. I know that sounds overly simplistic, but if you're going to choose to either A, look at someone else's Instagram or launch and see what they're doing, or B, look at people around you and help solve their problems, solving problems will be much more uh, meaningful for you and productive. Because if you were to look at what I'm doing, say today, in my marketing or or how I run my business, are we growing? Yes. Are we differentiating? Yes. But if you model what I'm doing today, what I'm doing today is based on data from nine months ago. Mm. And so what my focus is today and what I'll be doing nine months from now is not on what Marie or Gabby or Chris or Brendan or Lewis is doing. Those are my peers. I love them. I'm grateful for like the space and the space is very diverse and there's enough teachers to go around. But my primary and only focus is on the people who are in front of me and what problems do they still have and how can I help them solve those problems. Mm. And that focus has helped me really... Um, differentiate and innovate and sort of emerge now with a, a, a new type of a conversation that is out front because um, that's my focus has been on service versus comparison. And so I think that, you know, uh, uh, one of the companies I've been working with, as I said, was Viome and their founder is Naveen Jain and he's a billionaire and his best advice that I've heard him say was how to become a billionaire, solve a $10 billion problem. Mm. you know um, yeah. and it's that service mindset you know yeah. so the, ser- the service mindset is the, is, is the differentiator and if you can focus on that and you don't have to invent your own type of life coaching you don't have to have some exponential technology but you can figure out what makes you you yeah. and that will um, that will separate you automatically because there's no one like you as cheesy as that sounds it's absolutely true yeah this is, this is great, and I'm perfect. Before I ask you the question, the quick fire question to ask everyone, the last thing I wanted to talk about was your specialty is, is, is this, solving problems for people and helping people find their purpose. 
and I wanted to talk about finding purpose, living a purpose, but also entrepreneurship. And I'm in that space, like I said, you know, I, I'm doing these things, I have the audience, I have, I have a, a platform, I want to grow those things, obviously, but I'm at this kind of tipping point, like I said, with this, this fall really going all in on plan A, and figuring out what my, getting clearer than I already am on what my why is, and maybe you can even workshop that with me right now, of like, what is my, my why and my, my service, and how do you help people figure that out and, and find their purpose and flesh that out and, and find that clarity when they're stuck, or you know, in my case, I'm maybe not stuck, but I just want to like, tweak it or tune it up to, yeah. to really be clear. Totally. So, um, you know, the, the self-help world uh, needs a lexicon dictionary with terms that we all have agreed upon the common definitions. Um, because people use words like purpose and I might mean one thing and Wayne Dyer means something different and Gabby means something different and mm -hmm. Warren means something different and you mean something different. And, and so I always like to, before I tell someone how to find their purpose, define what I mean by right. the word purpose. Um, and so purpose is a very simple idea. If you think about any goal um, that you set, you set a goal because of the emotional payoff. You think that the romance is gonna bring you connection or that mm -hmm. the finances are gonna bring you certainty or freedom or whatever. And so what I help people do is really get clear on identifying what emotions they wanna feel primarily and then how to cultivate the emotional awareness, intelligence, and fitness to actually live that life. And when you, when you do that, that is what your purpose is. It's a, it's a way of cultivating and becoming aware of how you want to feel and then expressing those emotions and then expressing them in the form of service to other people. And the thing about it is, is that like you can get caught up in my purpose is to be an activist or my purpose is to be a coach or a parent. And those are expressions of purpose, but it all comes back to the emotions that you want to feel. And so the thing is, the reason why that's an important distinction is because if you lost a job, if you lost, a, God forbid, a child, Right, you might think that you lose your purpose. And if you think you lose your purpose, then you have no utility or purpose. That's how you go down a very dark path. Yeah. So you can lose the circumstances, but still, still have purpose uh, in your life. And so it's really an emotional game. And then, so then we have to look at well, what emotions do you want to feel? And then why haven't you been there? And what has to happen to get you there? And that's when we get back into the emotional trauma work. And that's how we get back into the functional coaching and functional medicine work, because that's where the emotional game is. Um, and, and that's all about building and cultivating resilience. And so in the context of business, um, you have to lead from the emotional place that you want your team to operate from. And so that's called culture. Yeah. And culture is everything. You know, if you look at, I mean, you know, all the books uh, that talk about culture talk about how important that is because culture gets transferred into customer experience, it gets transferred into all your products and programs. Um, and then if you can transfer emotions to customers, that's called a loyal raving fan who will do repeat business with you. And so and the emotional game is the name of the game. And so you want to get, get woke and get uh, sort of aware of the type of emotions you want to feel, how to bring those forward, and then how to help your customers feel those feelings as well consistently. And then the, the form can shift. It could be an online magazine. It could be a coaching program. It could be a, it doesn't matter what the thing is. Um, you focus on the emotional state. And what's interesting is, is that this advice transcends just entrepreneurship. J.J. Abrams, when he wrote The Force Awakens, uh, the first Star Wars reboot, the first question he asked was, how do I want the audience to feel, right? And so like, this is something that, you know, people who are producing, I mean, that, that movie crushed it at the box office, right? Because he focused on the audience and how they wanted to feel. And as a Star Wars fan, there's a certain expectation of how I wanted to feel, and he nailed it, mm -hmm. right? And that's what makes things go viral. 
right? So it's all emotion. And yeah. so in entrepreneurship, there's this fine line between self-care and selfishness and service. Because you can't be so focused on yourself you don't serve other people, right? And it can be scary because, I mean, most of, our, most of my clients are women. They got into a crisis because they overgave. And then the message is, be of service. And they're like, screw that, I overgave, I'm never gonna do that again. But you have to overgive without losing yourself. Or you have to give without losing yourself this time. Yeah, yeah, I love that. When you talk about the balance between self-care and self-indulgence and being in service, but also not, not the way you were before. That's in a right. more sustainable way. Without collapsing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's, I, I love the way you explained all of that. And it's funny, I, my intuition was, was kind of spot on here on, you know, I have all these ideas. I, I, I made an RFP, I made a, I'm, I'm, work, I'm building the platform, I'm doing all these, these things, I'm investing, I have all of these people, I have this team, and the, the biggest thing I'm investing in in September when I'm like fully done is I'm going to go to an Airbnb by myself, I don't want my boyfriend to come, and I'm just gonna take some time to like really do the deep reprogramming of, of past trauma and like reparenting myself and resting and meditating a lot and writing a lot and journaling a lot. And then when I'm feeling really my best, then I'm gonna go and actually you know start this. And I think it really speaks to exactly what you were saying. 100%, totally. That's okay. beautiful. <laughs> I was gonna tell you about spinach really quick. Yeah. I This is in my like, crazy, very crazy about wellness and everything days. And I was eating so much spinach because I was putting it in my green smoothie and I was sauteing it at night and I was having it in salads. I got really, really sick. Soon after I met you actually, I had a kidney stone the size of a golf ball and it was made of calcium <laughs> because I had so much calcium from wow. spinach. So there's like a, a story, like a little anecdote. I'd be so curious to see what your viral results would be around yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm the, curious too. Viome told me not to eat kale and I was like, yes! <laughs> I was so happy about that. Um, okay, greatest lesson on creativity. The greatest lesson on creativity uh, comes from a conversation I once had with uh, Frank Oz, who's the voice of Yoda. I got a chance to meet him and I asked him about the same exact question, like what's the best creative advice you ever gave or have gotten? And he, he's a director too. And he, he made his hands into a V like this and he says, when I'm on a project, I'll take any idea from anybody that's inside this V, which is my vision, right? But even if it's slightly outside, I won't take the idea because then it widens it and widens it and widens it, right? So if it's inside the vision, it's, it could be the janitor, it could be the intern, I will take the idea. But anything that's slightly outside of it, we have to ignore it because pretty soon we have no vision. And I was like, that is killer advice that's really good killer advice free podcast people and you just got that one yeah <laughs> wow i've actually never told that story before that's great favorite exclusive favorite part of your life right now right now mm -hmm. um i'm loving being in Asheville with jenna uh she somehow she's a miracle worker she turned me into a cat person um i hated cats until probably a year or two ago when we got one because I was like, cat equals unrequited love. Like, I'm not interested in unrequited love. I want something to call it when I call it to come. And she showed me the way of the cat. And we got this cat called Magic, and he is crazy awesome. And he's like, I have like all these cuts on my hands because he's like always attacking me and stuff. But that has been like such a joy because we have this crazy business and all this online stuff. But then we have Asheville and we have Magic, and it's like such a simple thing. 
Um, and just like last weekend, we were at the lake, and I was like just chilling with her and her family all week, or all, all day, like completely disconnected. And it's like those simple things that really, really are super special. Mm. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships? I would summarize it by saying this. When you pick your person, you want to feel that you can go the distance and you want to feel emotionally safe with that person. But be, just beyond the, the, the pomp and circumstance and beyond the romance and the butterflies, basically you want to ask yourself the question, is this the person I'm going to go through all this shit through with? Because like the hardest part of romance isn't, isn't the romantic phase. And what most people think is there's romance and then there's problems and you just deal with problems until you're like 90, right? But the, the next phase after that is differentiation, which is you're you and I'm me, and how can we not individuate, which is I'm gonna go do my thing and you're gonna do your thing. It's how can we do our thing but together, but like I'm me and you're you, and, and we are individually together. Mm. And there's tension that's created throughout that process. And typically um, in a relationship, you have someone who has the opposite trauma that you do. So the person who's afraid of being abandoned will find the person who's afraid of being smothered and you have to like work that shit out together, right? Oh wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, so, so it's, like, it's like, who do I want to go through that shit with, right, is really the question. Yeah. And to realize that you know, divorce is irreconcilable differences, happily ever after is reconcilable differences. Mm -hmm. It's not collapsing and being the other person that they want you to be or something like that. It's being the fullest version of yourself, but not in this, the thing about self-love is that like, it goes into narcissism. I'm just doing me, right? Okay, and I have to do paradoxically do me and then take great care of this other person. Yeah. And that is a very difficult thing to do, especially when you talk about, you add entrepreneurship on top of it. Yeah. Harville Hendricks and John Gottman didn't write the book on that. Right. It's a new thing. And don't get me wrong, Gottman and Hendricks are like the world class, but it's a different pressure when you have entrepreneurship, business, and all those other things layered on top, and then maybe even gender role switches where the women's are, women are out earning men like crazy today. So there's a lot of different things that have to be navigated. But if you look at through the lens of core trauma, I mean, there's a whole field of entrepreneurial relationship coaches and therapists that are emerging right now because it's such a different, uh, it's yeah. a different problem. Um, but I would say that you know, looking looking at a relationship through that lens, once you go through that differentiation process with a partner, that's happily ever after. And that is a rare air, Katie. Most people never make it because they just want to live in that early romantic phase over and over and over again. Or they just want to keep the status quo and keep it fine and sexless, sexless and a transactional relationship where you just save money on rent or something. Yeah. Um, and so the differentiation process is a, it's a, it's very difficult. It's probably the hardest thing anyone could ever do and it's so worth it. Yeah, cool. Okay. We always talk about morning routines and evening routines, maybe the first few things you do when you get up in the morning, last few things at night. But also I'd love to talk about maybe your greatest lessons on productivity and writing and how you structure sure. your day. So, yeah, I'm a big believer uh, in morning routines. And I think the way that you have a good morning routine is by having a good evening routine. Um, so I'm glad that that's in there. Um, but it's about the wind down, right? So how do you wind down? How do you get to sleep? For me, I stop eating three to four hours before I go to bed. And, and so that when I'm sleeping, my body's not digesting food, it's actually repairing. So that's super important. I get these, uh, these red glasses, they're not even, they're not even the, the yellow ones, they're red ones that Dave Asprey sells at biohack.com. And I put those things on and it blocks out all the blue light and you get going. And there's a new company out that has released a fantastic 
sleeping product that I love. It does have a little sucralose in it, so if you're sucralose uh, sensitive, don't get it. But it's called Tespo. What's that? Uh, T-E-S-P-O. Sucralose? sucralose is like a uh, fakey sugar type thing oh. that's not quite aspartame, and it's not quite stevia. It's somewhere in between. Okay. Um, and it's not exactly good for you, but it's like you were saying earlier, like live yeah. a life. Um, but they have the Tespo is a, a, a sleeping product that has all of the sleeping things you need in it, and it knocks you the F out. Is it a drink? It's a it's a powder. Uh, it's like a powdered uh, vitamin, basically. And I'm obs- I bought like 25 of these things because they're so good, and they run out of stock all the time when they're available. But you know, usually that's like a melatonin, uh, uh, a tryptophan. Not then, sponsored, but open to it. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't, this is this is just me what I do, right? Yep. Um, and then the other thing that's been a game changer for me at night and also in the morning has been um, taking a prebiotic and a probiotic and L-glutamine. There's a study that came out about a year ago that shows when you take a prebiotic at night, it produces stress, uh, additional stress resilience. It helps you sleep better and, and navigates any stress in sleep. I don't know why that is. They don't know why, but there's, there's a correlation between, because that's what wakes you up in the middle of the night is stress, right? Like the thoughts and the cortisol and all that type of stuff. So a prebiotic before bed has been a game changer for me. Um, I get better sleep and I need less of it. And then in the morning, uh, I wake up and um, I have a modified version of Bulletproof Coffee that has protein in it. And I have a little bit of a, a little caffeine and a little uh, a vitamin stack. Um, and then I do an hour of walking or an hour of steady state cardio on my elliptical. I'll eat um, usually some soaked oats or some soaked quinoa and a little bit of uh, protein powder and then I'll do training, like functional uh, bodybuilding or regular bodybuilding for about an hour. Uh, right now I'm doing functional training because I have a seminar coming up so I'm getting all my stuff worked out so that I can like be on stage 12 hours a day for 14 days in a row. 14. <laughs> uh, I'll take probably like an Epsom salt bath for like 45 minutes and then I start my day at around 11 and then I go hard until about 6.37, except for from five to six, I have a, uh, a dinner with Jenna where we like spend time together, but I'll come back after that and then probably around seven o'clock start to wind down. And um, we go really, 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 really intense uh, during the, the time that uh, uh, we work. And we get more done uh, collectively in a day than we used to in a week now, which is really wow. cool. Wow, so my book is, is about journaling as you know. Is journaling or writing and um, expressive writing something that you do or something you've ever done to process? Well, so The Daily Love was a daily journal for eight years. Um, and I love writing. Like, I always feel better when I write. And right now, uh, I'm in such a huge pivot with my business and differentiation. And like, we're, we're, we're in the process of, of a lot, uh, turning on a lot of systems that will start to really scale this message. And so right like at this exact moment that I don't do a lot of writing, mm-hmm. but it's an incredibly therapeutic practice for me when I do. Um, and typically I like to get up, get on my treadmill desk and do writing in the morning. Nothing feels better to me than to be walking and writing at the same time. Mm-hmm. The combination, because you know, the walking puts you in that kind of flow type state and then you write and it's like really cool. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like writing, if you could write in the shower, you know, oh. if you ever had those thoughts. Um, but yeah, writing is a, a really, really, really big deal. And I actually have, um, a journal prompt that's like a type form that's my personal like little type form survey basically that has a specific set of questions in a specific order that I answer when I'm doing that which is probably half the year um, because I uh, I have a short term I just forget some of the basics sometimes so it's always prompting me to remember certain things yeah. gratitude um, what you know what's happening in your life right now that you only used to dream about because I'm always so focused on pushing things forward yeah. that it's hard for me to stop and take in what I've done 
My know. book of 55 journaling prompts should yeah. be covered. <laughs> Need more. Um, okay, second to last question. What are your, what's your greatest lesson on God, spirituality, what do you think happens when we die? Where <laughs> well, I think um, there is two conversations happening simultaneously. There's the human conversation around the meat sack, the trauma, the neurotransmitters, uh, all that type of stuff, right? All the stuff we've talked about. And then there's a spiritual conversation, which is sort of everything's happening for me, not to me, and this is a lesson and all that type of stuff. And those two contexts get, get sort of confused because you have to understand which context you're speaking from. And so you have to speak from the human context and the spiritual context, and you can't just have a human context where all you're talking about is the trauma or the mindset, because then you're missing 99.9% .9 of what's really happening, which is a spiritual context. But if all you speak on is a spiritual context and someone's in acute trauma, like if someone's coming back from war, if someone's coming out of a crisis and you're like, it's happening for you, not to you, they're gonna say, fuck you, right? So you have to take both into consideration and realize when it's appropriate to have yeah. what type of contextual conversation. As far as spirituality, um, you know, I believe that spirituality is, and I think science is the study of the after effect of the creator, right? So we're learning more and more patterns. And if you look at physics, one of the core laws of physics is energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Therefore, reincarnation does exist because energy, this energy that you are has never been created nor destroyed, it just coexists. However, if you look at that law, it says within a closed system, energy can never be created nor destroyed. So the assumption of modern physics is that we live in a closed system. But what if we don't? So we don't know. What if we live in the multiverse, right? And so there's a lot that we don't know. But what I will say is I believe there's a creator. I believe in reincarnation. I believe in soul lessons. I believe that you learn themes in your life. I don't believe in just past lives. I think there's future lives. Because if time and space are all happening simultaneously, past, present, and future, why is it only past lives? Why can't you have future lives? Mm -hmm. Why can't you go back and forth? Um, and so I, think, I also think that you could... My personal belief is, this is woo-woo, but if we live in a multiverse, not only are there past and, future, past and future lives, but in which multiverse? Like in which quantum reality do you want to go to? So it's literally infinite. Mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the infinite, it's like almost like the ultimate virtual reality experience. Yeah, just taking that in for a moment. Um, I love everything you do. I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. Yeah, likewise. This I, so end cool. the, I end the podcast with a kind of weird thing, but I think you'll be into it. So it's called Let It Out. And I was getting massage one time, and someone was like, take a deep breath in. So we're going to do that. Okay, ready? All right, so, cool. Inhale. All right, we did it. Another episode of this podcast that I've been hosting for one million years. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you liked it, tweet at me, tweet at Mastin, comment on our Instagrams, the emoji, which I'm going to tell you at the end. But just a couple quick announcements. Again, if you're in New York tonight, come to Times Square at 6, the WeWork. There's going to be really yummy splendid spoon food. God, I love their food and there's going to be what else elixirs it's gonna be cool also come next week on the 31st at the alchemist kitchen links to all of that will be in the show notes also support the sponsors check out flex if you feel like it's a good product for you and definitely check out little space i just downloaded the app myself i'm using it i love it let's all unplug Maybe this weekend you can do it. It's hard to do during the week. I understand that. But let's do it over the weekend together. Let's talk about that in the Facebook group. And maybe set two days where we're like, okay, as a let it out 
community family. Also, what should we be called? Should we be a family? Do we want to be a community? I have some friends that say nation to their podcast, and that, that doesn't feel right for us. And tribe, I don't know, that doesn't feel right. My other friend says family. I really love that, but I liked something new. What could we call, what do you guys want to be called? Club? I kind of like club. I don't like squad. What do you guys like? I would love a term of what the Let It Out community is called. So let me know. I really need to go get some water. You can probably hear it in my voice. It's probably gross. So I'm going to go do that. Listen, I love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. If you are still listening, leave a review on iTunes. It helps so much. Share this podcast with a friend. It's very easy to do. If you're listening on your iPhone, you just click those three dots in the bottom right corner and you can easily text an episode to a friend. I've been doing that a lot and I thought I would actually share some past episodes that you might like. Episode 222, that's my favorite number, but that's not why I'm sharing it, with Trevor Hall is one that if you like this episode with Mastin Kip, you'll probably like that one. Also, my episode with Kathleen Shannon, episode 217, I think you guys would also like. We talked a bit about Dr. Frank Littman in this episode. He was just two episodes ago. Dive into the archive. There's a million there. And share this episode with a friend. And since I'm asking you to share an episode with a friend, I am going to share another podcast episode that I liked this week with you. It's an episode of Fresh Air. And they talked about sleep. I will link it in the show notes. As you know, I love Terry Gross. And, oh, we just completed, I talk about her a ton and let a podcast out, which is a online workshop to help other people start podcasts. So if you want to know more information about that, link is in the show notes. We'll be doing it again in October. But I just wanted to shout out everyone in that course because they just finished the course, which is really cool. We had our last call last night and... I'm just really proud of everyone in that. So anyway, check that out if you want to start a podcast. If not, just move right along. And the episode of Fresh Air that I listened to about sleep is in the show notes. I loved it. I talk at length about how much I love Terry Gross in the host of Fresh Air in the podcasting workshop called Let a Podcast Out. So that's why I brought that up. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I will be back next week. And the emoji for this episode is the french fry container because, listen, I just ordered by Chloe and it got here and I'm going to go eat some french fries and drink some water. I, I I know it doesn't really have anything to do with anything we talked about in this episode. I'm not even sure if Mastin likes french fries or not, but I don't know. Who doesn't? Love you guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. If you've been listening for a while, you know I'm fascinated by my own relationship to technology, specifically my phone, and even more specifically, social media, which is why I've been bringing it up on the podcast lately. And I'm super excited to talk about this new app called Lil Space, L-I-L Space. They are an app that's so in alignment to what I've been pondering and thinking about and talking about lately, which is the need for balance in terms of our use of technology and social media. 
The Little Space app is about building community around taking breaks from our phones so we can feel connected even when we're disconnecting from technology. It's an app that helps you break bad phone habits and develop some healthier ones by rewarding you for the time you spend disconnected. They have groups and activities where you can choose to disconnect and learn new things instead. Maybe journaling or yoga or whatever you're into. I think this app is tremendous. It's helped me in my life and I'd really love it if you guys tried it. If you want to, the link is in the show notes. Go to getlilspace, that's G-E-T-L-I-L space.com to download it onto your phone. And here's the best part. For the month of July, if you join me and our Let It Out family community and unplug, you can unplug for a cause. We're doing a challenge with Lil Space to support Real Girl, one of my favorite charities. I've had the founder, Anea, on the podcast a while ago, and they're going to donate a dollar for every hour we spend disconnected, which is so cool. And I am so passionate about this organization and it's really cool that we can all do something good for ourselves and then also for the world as a whole together so check it out listen to my episode with anaya if you want to know more about real girl and check out Lil space i'm so grateful that they're supporting this podcast I recently discovered a brand new period product that can completely replace pads, tampons, and even menstrual cups and helps give people a comfortable period no matter how active you are. And they're supporting today's episode. They're called Flex and they're actually, when I talk to them on the phone, they're the only period product that's been designed since the 1930s. They're designed by women for the modern woman's body and lifestyle. Most people don't realize that some symptoms associated with your period like cramping or even yeast infections might be associated with the products that we're using and flex was designed to solve some of those issues it's internally worn by women it's super comfortable you barely feel it once it's inserted and it fits your on-the-go lifestyle it's great for whenever you're traveling you can leave it in for 12 hours and it's easy to change and disposable so you don't have to worry about cleaning it out when you're out and about or traveling it's really comfortable great for workouts people have even run marathons in them and it's innovative that's why i think this is neat i want to tell you guys about new products that are truly innovative and check it out if it's right for you you'll know let me know what you think of this product i think it's fantastic that they're innovating in this category that hasn't really had much innovation in it anyway check out flex i think that you'll love them they are comfortable and they will fit your lifestyle if you want to check them out you can just go to ihatetampons.com and use the code let it out to get an additional 30 percent off your next purchase again that's let it out at checkout and check them out The music you're hearing behind me now and all other original music in this episode is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. The album art is by artist Zoe Harmon, and this podcast is produced and edited by Amanda Sharp and hosted by me, Katie Delbout. Check out our website for show notes to everything mentioned.